if you build an environment where everybody can succeed, the reality is that one kid who may not be the stud in your team may actually win the game for you. We grow up a lot of times, it's easy to always think that the grass is greener, right? Someone else has it better and so on, but I think it's very important to really enjoy where you are and, and look for the good that's around you. He's like, you're an idiot. He said, everybody realizes you're a teacher except for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club podcast. I'm your host, Max Price. I cannot explain to you how amazed I was at this conversation. Sandro Prosperino is an absolute treasure. And if I ever had an opportunity for him to coach my son, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, what you're going to learn from this conversation is so important and so much bigger than sports. And it's just an absolute honor to have Sandro here. I don't want to use up any more time in this introduction. I think we just need to dive right in and give you an opportunity to hear from a guy who will probably change the way you coach. So please welcome Sandro Prosperino from Valhalla High School in New York. All right, we're live. I'm here with Sandro Prosperino. Sandro, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Max. I got to say, this is this is something very cool that you put together, you know, getting all these coaches on from from all over the country and you know, I know the, the first episode you had a coach and then the second one you had an athletic director. So I think it's it's brilliant that, that you're doing something. So, so kudos to you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, when I was uh, starting the show, I reached out to Joe Ferraro, who uh, hosts the 1% Better podcast. And I, I was looking for good guests and he gave me one name and it was yours. And so uh, just reading about you, I'm extremely excited for this conversation. I think it's going to offer a lot of value to a lot of people. Oh, great. Great. I'm excited to be here. Why don't we start the show with you taking us kind of through your, your career, maybe start with your playing days and then take us through coaching all the way to where we are now. Sure. So uh, I played high school soccer at the school that I currently coach at. So I played you know, through varsity. From there, played two years of, of college soccer my, my freshman year. And I, I didn't stick it out my freshman year. I was just on a talented team. I didn't see it through, something I do regret. And then I did come back my senior year to get a chance to play with my brother. And, and it paid such dividends on so many levels, just meeting some great people. And so that's that was my, my playing career. I was a decent player, nothing special. Uh, I, I do think that I prided myself in my work ethic. That's what sh- shined more than anything. But uh, but I had a great career, played some for a great high school coach uh, who, who taught me the game, who I eventually ended up taking the program over from. But in, in terms of making the transition to coaching, you know, I went into the private sector after college, bounced around with a few different jobs. And like most kids that leave behind a program that they love, they tend to stick around a little bit, you know, come to the games, check in with oh, the yeah. coach. And they had an opening one year on the uh, the middle school side for girls. And I made arrangements with my boss to leave work early to get to the practices. And it was a short stint with the girls. I did one year with the girls. And I'm like, nah, I'm not sure if I can coach this gender. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm wired for it. <laughs> And then like a year or two later, I jumped over to the boys' side. There was an opening there. And again, I was still on the private sector at that point. It was funny. Like I, What would typically happen during this season is I'm coaching these kids who I don't know. I don't know the kids. I don't know the families. But the parents would inevitably ask me. They'd say, where do you teach? Oh, yeah. And I'd say, I don't teach. And then finally asked one parent one time. I said, why do, why do people keep asking me where do I teach? And the parent was very frank with me. He's like, you're an idiot. He said, everybody realizes you're a teacher except for you. 
you know, I went home, of course, and reflected on that. At that point, I was 29 years old, and I made the decision to go back to school at night to get my uh, to get my certification, my, my master's in uh, in education. I had an undergrad in, in accounting, and I knew I didn't want to be behind the desk. So, over the course of the next three years, you know, I you know, worked during the day and went to school at night. And very fortunate that I was able to land a job in special education. Well, at first as a, as a uh, classroom teacher, and that was in the elementary building. Eventually, I transferred over to the middle school, high school. And I did a few years at the middle school, and then another couple more years at JV, our junior varsity, one year of uh, assistant varsity coach before I took over the program. And here I am, you know, starting my 15th year at varsity, my uh, 23rd year in, in the school. 24 if you count the one year with the girls team. <laughs> That's a, a pretty significant amount of time with one school. I mean, especially when you consider that you went to school there. That's a big commitment to one one place in your whole life. Yeah. It, so I think with the nature of coaching today, it's easy to find a position at the higher levels, right? I think you know, Coach, that it's yeah. so much harder today with today's landscape to uh, to. To, to find a place and stay there. You know, we've got our parents that are very involved, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think managing it and figuring out your style with that can be very difficult. So a lot of coaches, you know, have a hard time with it and, and end up moving on. Uh, the stress of it becomes too, too much. I do know if I had to start today coaching, um, not sure how long I would last because I think, you know, there's a process that, it, it takes you through to, to find your voice, to find your philosophy. It's a journey. And a lot of times there isn't enough patience outside, outside the school to, to, to go through that journey. But I knew early on how much I loved being at Bahala, And there were other opportunities that came along. And, and I didn't know when that opportunity would come, but I decided to hang in. And I ended up doing, uh, it was um, eight years before I got the opportunity to take over the program. And I'm glad I, I hung in. And, and, and it's interesting because a lot of people say to me all the time, oh, you really love soccer. You, li- you really love coaching soccer. <laughs> and my, my response back is, well, not really. I, I love coaching Bahala soccer. That's what I love. That's what my passion is, it's Bahala soccer. So I've been blessed that it's a great community. We're on the smaller side. Uh, we've got a very strong administrative uh, leadership team there that that supports their coaches, but more than anything, just supports doing the right thing, whether it's you know taking the kids' side or whatever it is. But it's a great situation that's really worked for me, and I, and I feel very very blessed to be here. It sounds like a really neat place, and I, I was hoping you might be able to take us through what what that area is like. So we're in the sub- suburbs, right outside New York City, and uh, Westchester County uh, in New York State is a very affluent. Uh, county, one of the most affluent in the country. So there's a lot of opportunities here. The, the interesting thing, though, where we are at Valhalla, we're on the smaller side. We're about a little over 100 kids per grade in our district. And our, our middle school, high school is housed in the same physical building. We have, however, as much as we're in a very affluent area, we have a very diverse population, which which I love. Besides coaching there, I do live in this town. So I I teach uh, my kids come to this uh, come to the school district, so my kids get to to come here and be in a very diver- diverse community, and uh, it allows for a very diverse team, which which is just adds to the flavor of what we do in terms of like our pasta dinners, our get-togethers. <laughs> it's such a sharing of cultures that I think really opens our eyes and especially our, our stomachs at times too. So 
you can walk in a classroom and they may be like 10, 12 different languages spoken in that classroom. It's, it's pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. Can you kind of run us through how you ended up in Valhalla? Well, I, I was born in Italy, came here when I was a couple years old, uh, started in the Bronx. And then from there, we moved to the suburbs. You know, I was lucky enough to, to go to school there. And then after graduating, didn't go too far with uh, with school in terms of where I went, went to Pace University, which is down the road a few towns over. So I never really left. And when, when I met my wife, she was uh, she wasn't from around here. And she said, you know, I kind of like it here. So, you know, I liked it, you know, obviously being very partial. So it was nice to be able to stay here and, and really, um, I think it's a great place to raise a family, very small community that really looks after each other. And uh, so I, again, feel very, very blessed to be in such a small community that, that, that takes care of each other. Noticed a lot of coincidences since I started this show. We're only a month into it or so, but another one of the coincidences, the first guest I had on Chris Lee was my high school coach and we were the, and they still are the North Salem Vikings. Yeah. And then now here you are coming on and Valhalla, of course, is a, is a, a Norse term and you guys are the Vikings too, I, I believe, right? Yeah, we are. We are. And yeah. It's something that I know on our end, for me at least, I really embraced our mascot and there's yeah. so much that I, that I talk about and we do and whether it's getting the kids fired up, um, with, with our mascot, I even know, like even years ago, I was talking to uh, one of our, one of the teachers I, I, I work with, a, co- a colleague who also coaches. And I was saying, I go, you know, we need a cool, we need a cool name for our, for our student section. You know, I go, I always like the Kiss Army, right? The rock group. I'm like, we need something. <laughs> yeah. goes, what about Odin's Army? There and you I'm go. Like, Holy smokes! It was you know Steve Rich. I'm like, Steve, I'm like you did it. That's it. It's Odin's army, and, and you know we've got a, an athletic director, Jamie Block, who's just phenomenal in terms of like just making sure the kids get a you know great experience as a student athlete. Really promotes that, and he he ran with it and got banners and this and that, and he'll, he'll pump out emails like, "We Odin's army needs you," and so it's uh. But I, I love our mascot, and, and uh, I love embracing it. I had kind of a similar experience at my high school and I went back and started my coaching career there, but I ended up, you know, becoming a head coach at a school, kind of a rival school, I guess. And, uh, but I know some of the benefits of it. And so knowing everything you know about the community and having lived there for so long, what are some of the benefits that you get out of being somebody who, somebody who's grown up there and who's gone to the same school and who's been there for so long? Um, oof. I mean, it's tricky. I mean, the one added layer is that I, that I live here now. So I, I live teach and coach in the same community and and it's also the community that I that I grew up in as you mentioned so um I to me I think one thing is I think growing up there's that natural I think your mind always goes I I gotta get out of here I gotta get out of this town this town stinks it's so boring and I, I think we all grow up that way and it's nice for people to hear like oh no hang hang on we've got someone who who was you know successful and and then stayed, never left. And, and I think there's some power to that. I think just realizing, I think we grow up a lot of times, it's easy to always think that the grass is greener, right? Someone else has it better and so on. But I think it's very important to really enjoy where you are and, and look for the good that's around you. I'm sure every community has that. And, and I think it's, it's important to stop and, and to think about that. So I enjoy it and I enjoy the connection. I feel like, you know, specifically that to that question, you know, there's the history that I can easily talk about mm-hmm. because I, I've been around it as a player, uh, coaching straight through it. 
And then when I wasn't around as a player or coach, I wasn't too far away. So naturally, I would come back and, and, and see my old coach, who I eventually took over for, and you know, be around the program. So I've accumulated like a, the, the history of our program, and, and I've been slowly putting it together. And, and I've been able to piece together. So this is year 58 of our program. And other than six years going back to the late 60s and early 70s, I've got pretty much a record of, of, of every season, who the coach was. So I'm putting this together. And then someday when it's time for me to move on, I'd like to pass it along to the administration or the next person so they can keep this, this history alive. I'm not sure how many schools can really track back uh, records and, and coaching staff. It's easier to do that when, when you've been around it for so long. Yeah, that's really cool. I At North Salem, Chris Lee had a really excellent job of keeping records and of who coached each team and all that stuff dating back to the early 1900s. He had a really good amount of records from it. When, and then when I came over to South Salem High School, there was nothing here. And it was it was really bizarre going from a school who's at least for their baseball program had every you know listed everything from year to year to year and so I came to South and that's been one of my little pet projects too actually has been trying to put together the history of baseball at the school dating back to its opening um, back in the fifties but it's it's a lot of work but I think it's so cool when coaches can pass that off to whoever ends up taking over for them someday absolutely I mean I, I kind of almost envy what you're doing just it's a lot of work. But it's pretty exciting, especially when you're able to put some of these puzzle pieces together. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I found I, it, during my research, I found some you know, just odd, random things. The first coach, his name was Hank Duran of South Salem High School Baseball back in, in the 50s. Coached for a little while, became the wrestling coach. He's buried at a cemetery that's just, I mean, less than a mile up the road on the same road that the baseball field is on. You just, you just learn these weird little tidbits. and it's, it's really fascinating and cool stuff. And yeah, it's, I think that's really valuable if coaches can, can put together that research. Oh, agreed. Absolutely agree. Well, you mentioned that you went back to school to become a teacher working nights. Were you working during the day, coaching in the afternoon, and then also going to school at night? So when I first took this on, I'm not sure what I was thinking. I would, I would, uh, <laughs> especially at the end. So the last, you know, at least in New York, I'm sure most places, your last, the last semester at, at college for the program, you've got to do the student teaching. Yeah, you so got to be in the classroom. When I got to that point, I went to, again, you know, my boss over in the private sector. And I said, Al, can, can we make a little change here? I'll come work at night. I'll still do the same thing. Obviously, I need to make some phone calls during the day, but can we at least give it a try? And I also sat him down and said, look, if everything goes well, I won't be here. So, you know, I'll train the next person, make sure that you're in a good place when I leave. Because I was with him for seven years. And, and he agreed. And uh, so what that looked like was I would do student teaching from eight to three. And then I would run over to our high school, middle school, high school, because they ended a little bit early. So I'd get there as soon as possible from like, you know, practice would be roughly three to five. Uh, from there, run home, change, and then, you know, go to, to you know, Greenwich, Connecticut, which was you know, about 12 miles away and, and start my, my 6 p.m. shift and go to about midnight. And, and I did it for a few months. You know, I didn't didn't miss any days during during the day with student teaching and, and that led to an opportunity about a month after finishing that up I was offered a job one of the teachers I student taught under took a job somewhere else on the administrative side and it created an opportunity and principal and the superintendent came to me and said look would, would you be willing to take this class over and, and you know yeah where do I sign up so 
it was it was pretty intense and, and it was interesting because I had a lot of people most people don't know that. You know, I had a lot of people tell me, you know, you you stepped in it. You stepped in pretty good. Look at the luck you had. Oof. And they didn't know what I was doing. And interestingly enough, enough, the first day of that schedule, my wife's she herniates a disc in her back. So this is the night oh, before. No. And she has to go in for emergency surgery. So she goes in that night. We go to the hospital. She has the surgery, and 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 I don't I don't leave. They said, "Look, you can't stay in the hospital. This and that is our rules." And I said, "Okay, I'm not leaving though." So they sort of ignored me. But them ignoring me was me sleeping on this linoleum floor with like you know my face stuck to the floor with saliva. There was no, and so I I was there through the night. Helped her, you know. The nurses I think appreciated. They didn't have to come in during the night. And when I was done with all that, six o'clock in the morning. Got, got up off the linoleum floor and went home, showered, and that was my first day of my my 16, 18 hour day. And and uh, and two weeks later, she re herniated her disc. No way. And we had to do it all over again. <laughs> so it was just chaos. But but you know, I grew up with a with a dad, a father who who just had such a strong work ethic. And you know, when we came to this country, working seven days a week, so. You know, when you see that modeled in front of you, it's easy to, to have that ingrained in you in terms of who you are as a person. So uh, it was a great life lesson for me, uh, even though I was in my, my late 20s, just about the power of hard work and that, you know, you create your own luck, whether it's good luck or bad luck. And you hear it so much, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And it's just, um, it's the power of, of hard work. Yeah. So many people leave that second part out that from the outside when you look at someone yeah you you think oh like they, 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 how how much luck did they get to get where they are and it's like well you know a lot of that was hard work your 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 story is really inspiring i mean to i know so many people who are tiptoeing the line of whether they should go into teaching or not and one of the big things that kind of holds them back is what you were talking about that last semester of the college experience at getting your masters where you know uh, you can't work a regular hour job anymore because you're going to be student teaching you know for the full day Right. It holds a lot of people back from getting into this career. It, it doesn't lend itself to, to, to changing careers. <clears throat> yeah. It's extremely difficult if, as you go along through this path, like I did, where I had a parent tell me, look, you, you know, you're an idiot. You're, you're a teacher. You don't even realize it. And then the ironic part is I didn't, I didn't enjoy school and it wasn't because of the teachers, whatever. I, I think I, you know, I struggled in school uh, in terms, I did very well in school, but, but I, to me, I just, I just struggled with it in my mind. I didn't enjoy it. And I remember at one point <clears throat> being at some award thing at, in the, during the graduate process, and I, I, I asked my mom to come with me, and, and uh, she turned to me at one point, and, you know, and she says in her broken English that, do you understand what's going on now? And I'm like, what are you talking about, mom? She's like, you hated school. We fought with you to go to college, and you're deciding to spend the rest of your working career <laughs> in a building. She's like, you yeah, know, irony in this, you know, and it's like it took my mom, you know, who had a fifth grade education coming here from Italy to like point something that was so obvious to me. That's that should have been so obvious to me. It is amazing how often people become teachers who maybe their own time as a student, they, they didn't enjoy it. And I think a lot of times great coaches also were maybe not the best players and I think that lends itself in teaching too. Some of the best teachers maybe weren't the the prototypical best students. Yeah, I can relate to both sides of it. You know, on the coaching side and and the teaching side, and and of course there are people. You remember how you were made to feel 
both good and bad. And I think there's, yes. there's a lot of life left lessons in both where you kind of see how you were treated. Like, you know what? I, I didn't like that. And, and I'm definitely not going to do that if I ever get in that position. And on the flip side is seeing someone, you know, I had, I, I ran for this amazing track coach, coach D coach Medino, Medino. And I wasn't a great track athlete for him, at least on paper, but he made me feel like I was a track star. And, uh, I just remember that, that he treated us all, I don't want to say equally, he treated us all fairly. And, and, and that's something that really stuck with me once I got to be around kids all day long as a coach. Yeah. Now you are a special education teacher at the middle school level. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So can you kind of talk us through how anything that you've done in the classroom has maybe transferred over to how you've, or maybe even changed how you coach soccer? So, uh, you know, Max, I know I don't know on your end, but I know at least here in New York, where uh, when when schools go to hire coaches, there is some favoritism that goes to teachers. And uh, yes, yeah. When I, so when I first got in, I wasn't a teacher. So of course, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, I may get bumped from someone else who has less qualifications than I do. So I didn't I didn't agree with it. And then once I became a teacher. You know, it completely flipped on me in terms of how I saw it. And I think being a teacher is probably one of the greatest things that shaped me as a coach. And I think helped me as a coach because at the end of the day, you know, with my philosophy, when I step on that soccer field, to me, it's not a soccer field. It's my classroom. And I think I have the wrong title. I'm not a coach. I'm a teacher. And, you know, it's a teacher of the game. And and I think a lot of what we do at times is wrong. I think we accept things in our culture on the athletic fields that we would never accept in the classroom. <clears throat> Something as simple as a soccer coach. If I've got some weaker players, I may hide them in certain positions on the field, or I may not even play them as much. I'll bury them on the bench. And, and imagine doing that in the classroom. I've got a student that's not performing as well as other students, so I'm not going to call on them. You or stick they, them in the back of the room so yeah. when administrator comes in he doesn't get doesn't interfere with your <laughs> right, right exactly. you know don't raise your hand because i'm not going to call on you you don't get the wrong answer out of you and uh and even the, how we talk to kids on our athletic fields we're like oh well i'm just being tough on your kid because i care about them okay mm-hmm. you can do that without maybe um yelling or, or or coming across very being very degrading and again we wouldn't accept that in the classroom where if we yell them like how many times do i have to go over this problem i showed you already how to do this mathematical equation what are you not getting you know and <laughs> if, if we if we taught that way as we coached i mean those parents would justifiably be in the administrative offices asking for my job yet we we accept it out out on the field so i feel like my job is to teach every kid in front of me and and to really put them in a position to all succeed and at the end of the day they all feel good about being there being in that classroom so um i I think you know and, and of course the one thing that you butt up to then is is the winning well well how are you gonna win that way coach well i feel like if you if you build an environment where everybody can succeed. The reality is that that one kid who may not be the stud in your team may actually win the game for you because it, it's going to be their turn to shine. And because you believed in them, because you put them in a situation to succeed, they're going to come through for you. You know, and I can't, I mean, how many times in the sports world, whether it's, you know, pros or college, whatever, it's not your stud that wins the game. 
it's maybe one of your role players. So I do feel like we have an obligation to, to, to coach and more importantly, teach every one of our athletes in front of us. How does that factor into playing time for you? Well, I mean, again, that's where, so, you know, naturally your, your better players will play more, but I think something as simple as, you know, when you get around to senior day, let's say, right. So mm-hmm. um, I know, you know, we have a philosophy with us where once we get to senior day, all our seniors play. So, um, and they're going to get significant minutes. And, uh, you know, as opposed to like, I've gone to some senior day games where, where they acknowledge the seniors before the game and then they don't yeah. get in the game at all. And, and, uh, and again, it's, I'm not, it's not a, a criticism to any coach that does do that because at the end of the day, there is a reality that you have to succeed. You have to produce on the field. And sometimes you may put a kid out there that may not get you there, but you know, in terms of your question specifically, we, we talk about that. So obviously when you're on a team, everyone's role will not be the same, right? And when it comes specifically to, to playing time, everyone's role will not be the same. You're going to have your kids, they're going to be starters that are on your roster, some that may be the first guy off the bench, and someone that won't play as much. So we talk about that early in the season that, listen, while everyone's role will be different on the field, there's an expectation that everyone does the same thing. So regardless of your role, we expect everybody to be here. We expect everybody to be here on time and with a great attitude, with a lot of positive energy, always cheering us on. Because the reality is, is that, you know, health comes into play, right? So somebody may go down, all of a sudden I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to say, listen, I need you to go in and fill in, whether it's our backup goalie or or whatever it is. And it's happened. I'm sure it's happened to you, you know, with the teams that you've coached. Absolutely. Yeah, when you're going to call on someone to step up. And if you have a system where you bury those kids and you call on them, you know, most of the times they're not going to succeed because they haven't been there to to you haven't provided an environment where they can succeed yeah they've been conditioned to think right. that they cannot succeed right so if you've got a system where you value everybody and you have the same expectations while their roles are different when you call on that kid you know i, I can't tell you the amount of times i've pulled the kid aside and say listen you're going in and, and like i know you're nervous i know it's a big game maybe it's our homecoming game maybe it's a rival game maybe it's a sectional game or a league game and i'll say listen this is why you've worked so hard up to this point for this moment. Go out, trust yourself. I trust you. And more importantly, have fun. You know, just go out there and, and, and embrace this moment. And I, I can't tell you the amount of times we've had kids in, some, in front of large crowds and who didn't play. And after the game, people are like, who was that kid out there? And I'm like, yeah, believe it or not, that's his first time playing, his first time starting, first time getting significant minutes. So while the playing time may not be equal, there is that expectation that we're all working towards the same goal. And, and when, we, when we call on you, most of the time that kid is ready. Something you said in there is really valuable, I think. And I didn't come to the realization until maybe two years ago that even if you're nervous, it's okay. But the importance of having fun, of embracing the fact that you're nervous, embracing the fact that you're in the situation you are now, but just letting yourself have fun and how much of a difference that can make for you. Absolutely. And, and so, I mean, especially when we're, when we're talking about high school sports, right? And, and, you know, my athletic director, again, Jamie, he always says it all the time. He says, high school coaches think they're, t- they're coaching college and college coaches think they're coaching the pros. And, and I think it's very important to take a step back. And I remind myself, and I'll say it a lot, I'm just coaching high school. And, and it can sound 
what are you talking about? What do you mean just just high school? Are you not here to win? I'm like, no, we're here to do everything, including winning. I don't, I don't, I try not to talk about winning too much because I feel like winning is a byproduct of all the little things you do getting up to that point. And I think if you do those little things very well, winning takes care of itself. But at the end of the day, though, too, especially today with what's going on with with um, you know, this virus that's that's globally affecting all of us, we have to really remember where we are. And that we're taking care of every kid and, and, and doing as much as we can to, to put them first with taking care of their needs. And for the kids, they're only there for four years. And for a lot of them, senior night is the end for for probably the majority of the players that play for us. Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. I mean, 90% of them will never step on a competitive field again in terms of going beyond high school, whether it's you know junior college or whatever it is, or up to up to D1. So, so yeah, most of them will never step on a competitive field again. And that field they're stepping on is potentially kids they've been together with since nursery school. So talk about the bond that, that goes there and the emotions. And even the, the parents in the stands, the emotions they feel – with the culmination of what these kids have done and how much they've gone through together with all the tournaments they've gone to and all the traveling and the tents and the cold weather and the rainy weather. And, and uh, it's, it's a very special night and, and to, to properly honor them before the game as well as during the game to me is very important. It's a reminder that, you know what, it's really not the end of the world if we don't get the result we wanted today. I, I think those kids will remember more the fact that they played together on senior day, whether then they, you know, I mean, if you don't play that kid, whether you win or not, there's that memory in their head that I didn't even get on the field for my senior day game. Yeah. Um, for the rest of their life. Yeah. They'll remember that. And you, they'll remember it the rest of their life. Absolutely. Coach. Selfishly. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. It's coming out at the perfect time for me we're, with the pandemic. We are getting the go ahead from our district to start um, off season workouts here in the next week or two. I already have everything kind of planned out for what we're going to do. And it's really focused on what we normally do, really player development driven, skill, skill driven. And just in having this conversation over these last, just the last five minutes of it, I'm completely rethinking what we're going to do and recreating a new environment. I think where we're going to try to focus on a lot more, I mean, we'll get better, but a lot more, I guess, fun. These kids haven't played in a long time, and who knows if they'll even necessarily get this season. So just from having this conversation, I'm like already rethinking what we're going to do. And, and that's been such a struggle and the juggle of it all, Max, right? Because, look, the reality is we, we, get, we come into this profession as coaches because we're driven, and, and what drives us is the success. And, yeah. and, and the key, I think, more than anything is how we define success, and that's something that you do as individually that helps shape your philosophy. But but going back to what you're saying, you know, I, we just started. We started a little. We were supposed to start on August 24th. They pushed it back a month, the state to to September 21st. Then our section pushed that back to the 29th, and, and we didn't get a chance to start. Then we we started a few days late, and today was our third third practice. And you know, I I, I spoke to my athletic director. And I said, look, I'm not advertising this, but I'm not cutting this year. You know, how, how can I look a kid in the eye mm-hmm. who hasn't played uh, anything, hasn't represented their school in over six months that, listen, you know, we got to win a championship here. And you may have lost somebody from this pandemic, but but gosh darn it, we got to win here. So you're, you're not part of that equation. So, you know, why don't you go, go in the stands, which by the way, may not even be open for you to come and watch. <laughs> no and, kidding. And, you know, so... 
you know, how could you do that? So for me, my philosophy going into this is like, I'm not going to advertise that we're not doing reductions because at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, your skill level. I just want someone who wants to be there and is going to work their tail off for the program. Absolutely. And if you can do that, I'll take you. And actually we told the kids today, you know, that, you know look, we're keeping all of you. What we're going to do now these next few days is figure out where you're going to fit into this puzzle, whether it's our junior varsity or our varsity. But yeah, but with that though, comes the complications where I do have seniors on a team and it is their last season. And, and they're going to want to go out with the bang and make sure that yeah, they you want to do right by them. Yeah. So sure. I've, I've got to juggle those two things where it's taking care of my seniors while taking care of the needs of the rest of the team. But to your point, though, to Max, is that, you know, I can go out and do reductions and this and that and we're winning and start focus on, the, you know, the tactical side of the game and come out mm-hmm. the game with that. And then three days from now, we're shut down. And, yeah. And, and so – we keep talking about what a gift today is and let's enjoy this time together. Let's, you know, and it doesn't mean you don't, you don't have the standards of your, of your, of your club and your culture. You don't compromise that, but maybe you shift a little bit more to the fun while you have those standards and really focus on their kids and their well being and, and having a lot of fun with the short amount of time that we do have. As of right now, you are gearing up to start games. So our, our state is split up into 11 different sections and, a bunch of the sections are, you know, a Long Island is split up into two sections. They've already pushed it to, uh, to 2021. And a few of the other surrounding sections from us have also shut down. And we're sort of right in the middle of these four sections that have already, you know, punted things to 2021. Uh, upstate New York hasn't been, as hard, hasn't been hit as hard from this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So they're going to give it a go. But yes, right now, our first game should be right after Columbus Day. So we're going to try to give it a go. But, you know, we're sort of, as the coach, we're, we're, I'm tensed up thinking that at any moment something can happen where, you know, our leadership has to make a difficult decision and pull the plug on things. And it could be like an individual school or our, our entire section may make that decision. Back in March, let's see, we were two weeks deep into practice. So we were at the very end of our second week of official practices for the season. And that following Monday, we would have started our, we would have had our first game. And so it was Thursday. Thursday night before our first game where everything got shut down. And at the time you thought, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll come back. You know, it's only supposed to be a few weeks sort of a thing. But man, looking back now, I just, I had no way of knowing. So I, I'm not too hard on myself, but kind of full of regret of, man, we spent two weeks being very, very skill oriented. We had tryouts, kids got, you know, you know, cut from the program and, and then everything just gets shut down and it's like, wow, what did we really accomplish with these kids? What are their memories? You know, our seniors, that was it for them. And maybe not regrets the right word, but it's certainly a story of caution of how quickly everything could be just taken away. Yeah. I mean, you're right about the timing of it where back then it was, there were so many more questions we have. I think obviously we have more answers today. We, well, not more answers. We know more today. <laughs> yeah. But, but I can't imagine, you know, how coaches, parents, and those, you know, those players, what must have been going through their minds and the heartbreak of, of, of losing that, that last opportunity to be out there. And it's completely unexpected. So, so yeah, I feel for you and your program and, and, and all everybody else out there that, that lost the season. You do some cool things with your seniors. There's a couple that I've already definitely going to start implementing. Can you share a couple of things that you do that are kind of unique? So my goal is to make sure that when they walk away, 
you know, 15 years from now, they're sharing a beer and they're just talking about the good times. And those good times may not necessarily be tied into results on the field, but more the amount of time they spend off the field. And, and the reality is, as coaches, when we're together in a program, the amount of time that's spent off the field in terms of like an actual game, I mean, the, the amount of time, it dwarfs the amount of time they actually competing, right? So we try to do a lot of fun things where, whether it's honoring our seniors, um, coming up with, you know, and these, of course, and, and you know this, Coach, it's, you're basically stealing other people's ideas. So Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what coaching is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what education is, right? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's taking other people's ideas and, and just running with it. But but we, you know, like most programs, we we have a senior day. You know, I'll go out and and, and get pictures, frame it, present it, have the parents come down, the seniors give a rose, take a nice picture, put that all together. But before that, we'll have a senior day breakfast. So my parents live in town. Again, these old school Italians. So when you come to a, a kitchen table, you know there's going to be a lot of food there. You know, we have a breakfast there. We all show up and the seniors and my, my mom and dad cook. And, and we have a feast like you would not believe in terms of like just, you know, the, the breakfast foods and some of these Italian breakfast uh, treats. And, uh, and these kids talk about that meal like, you know, coach, this is like the best breakfast we've ever had. So it's like little things like that that we do to, to, to honor our seniors. You know, something that goes beyond our seniors. We have, uh, again, this is something that I stole from, from Joe Ferraro, who you mentioned earlier on with his 1% podcast, where um, I think as coaches, one of the problems we run into is postseason with awards. And it's like, it's a nightmare, right? I mean, yes. whether it's the awards that come from outside your team, right? Whether, you know, in terms of how, how that's done through the, through the association or the awards that you do internally. And, and, I, and I guess I'm not saying that kids have this sense of entitlement. I don't want to stereotype them. But I think when you give so much to a program and you don't feel like you get the recognition that you deserve, it's easy today to feel like you were wronged. So we do these player-to-player awards. Essentially, what it looks like is that once we hit the postseason, we, we, we put names in a jar, you, you pull that name out, you keep it to yourself, and the objective is you have to create an award for that player that's unique to that player and what they've done. And the one no-no is they can't put together a certificate and um, when we present these awards, it's our team dinner that we do. It's basically, um, you know, we we, uh, we we rent out a little hall, and we usually our assistant coach Dan uh, Franco is able to get us a hall for free. We all bring some food there, so it essentially doesn't cost us anything to get together. So at this, uh, and we get about, you know, about sixty people there. So usually the, you know, obviously the players are there. Mom and dad will show up. Their siblings. So it's a great family atmosphere which i think is awesome. almost, has become a cliche in sports right we always talk about family but oh yeah family is a big buzzword right now yeah yeah but i think <laughs> you know i think more importantly it's not talking about family i think if you walk around the right culture you could see that family right so anyway we go to this team dinner and it's their job to present so they can't get up and say hey um i have johnny uh as as my uh, player award and i'm giving johnny this certificate 
for it's the player hustle award. Here you go, Johnny. You always hustled, right? It can't be something like that. They've got to they've got to come up with something clever. So what's nice about having a team is that um, you uh, you have these kids who um, are with the program for several years. So the kids will see this dinner, these awards, and it's a chance for them to up what they did the year before as, as you go through the program. So you'll have a kid where he'll get a stuffed bunny rabbit, put it on top of a block of wood, and then um, uh, put a little uh, plaque on it or something. And then like, oh, coach, you know, my I had uh, Frank for, for my player award. And for Frank, I got him the Energizer. He's, he wins the Energizer uh, uh Bunny Award because he came to practice every day with so much energy. There were times we were down. He would always pick us up. And so and so everybody walks out of that room with something that they were given to by, by one of their teammates. And it's a reflection of what they did. And, of course, it's got to be something positive. It can't be an inside joke. It can't be something that you don't share. And, again, it's a family atmosphere with, with, the, with the parents there. And the amount of laughing that goes on and then the parents, all right, once we're done, let's take a nice team picture, hold your awards up. And it, it's um, it's a great way to acknowledge every kid. It's not about acknowledging the, how good they were, but more acknowledging their effort, acknowledging the sacrifice that we all make. It's a great evening and it's a great way to end the season where everybody walks out feeling like they contributed something to that to that to the program. Oh man, it's so cool. We do, I think all teams probably do some sort of version of a team awards at the end and ours are fine, but they, you know, it's, it tends to be the same old thing. Here's the best offensive player award. Here's what the association thought you were good at. And here's some pizza. Okay. Bye. Sort of a thing. Uh, I love your idea and I really want to start implementing it. How early do you draw names? Do you wait till the end of the season or is this something where you draw earlier? Yeah, we, it's the end of the season. So obviously when, when it comes time to that, we, when the season ends, we'll plan the, you know, I, I start backwards. And, and so I plan the date of the, of our team dinner, mm-hmm. which is typically a few weeks out. And then right off the bat then. So once the season ends right away, they draw names this way. It'll give them a good week to come up with something clever, right? Cause the goal is to come, to come up with something very unique. That's a reflection of the player and, and, and what they brought to the team every day. So naturally, you want to give these kids a time time to really think about it and and come up with something that's thoughtful as well as something that's creative as well. And of course, I encourage these guys to come to me and, and I'll check in with them. Like, guys, please don't wait the night before. And like, hey, coach, I didn't do anything yet for you know. <laughs> so I'm going to check in with all of you periodically. I'm going to say, are you all set? And they'll say yes. I'm like, okay, what do you have? You know? And they're like, well, I'm like. No, no, you, you got to tell me, you just told me you're all set. And it sounds like you're not all set. So I don't wait to the last minute. At the end of the day, they're kids and, and they do have a tremendous amount of responsibilities with their academics and so on. So it's easy to push something off to the side. So I do check in with them because again, if it doesn't go well and, and they don't do a great job, I think more than anything, it's a reflection on me because as, as, as the head of the program that, um, I didn't follow through enough with them. That's gold. This is probably what most coaches do. I end up standing up there and I, you know, each player comes up and I talk about them and I give them whatever things I'm handing out. And that's it. I think what you're doing creates not only more ownership and stuff, but I think to your point, it is creating a family. It's creating people who respect one another outside of just what they do literally in a game. Right. I think yeah. that's really important. And and it's, and it's what's nice though, like, as you mentioned, right? we do stand up there and we do do more talking. I think it's nice for the, 
for the players to get up and talk. And, and of course, you're always going to have that that kid who's who's just not a, you know, he's got a very introverted yeah. personality, and that's okay. So you want to try to pull them out a little bit out of their shell, and and maybe for one night do a little bit more talking. And 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 then of course again, you've got to identify identify that kid before that night and be like, listen, do you know what you're going to say? And and I right, try to spend a, you know more than a few words talking about someone and. You know, do you want to practice with me? Do you want to practice at home? Because it can be intimidating as a uh, you know, 16, 17-year-old to stand <laughs> yeah. in a room of 60 people. And <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. It's intimidating for a lot of adults, I think, yeah, too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's it's, it's something that, again, I stole that from Joe Ferraro about uh, three or four years ago. And I have to say, when our, our dinners were always fun. It's just taking it up a few more notches and, and I can't imagine not doing that. And again, everybody walks out feeling valued and that's a good way to end the season. And look, we do our, do our major awards, but I'll be honest, I don't, I don't spend much time talking about them. I, I spend more time on this because at the end of the day, we want everybody feeling good about, about who they are. So, and the role that they have. Well, and this is something that they'll remember a lot more too. Yeah. I cannot, yeah. I, I cannot remember in this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only 31, I think. Uh, and I can't remember going back to my high school days. I don't know who won what awards during our team dinners or anything like that. Uh, you know, I remember the things and how I was felt made to feel and all that stuff. And I think what you're doing builds into that. And, and it also builds more ownership, I think, in players, too. And kind of to that point, you also don't have team captains, or at least you haven't had team captains for what somewhere around a decade or so. Yeah, it's been about a decade. And and I have to say, I, I was just talking about it today with the coaching staff because I know there's another school there was another coach who I'm, who I'm very good friends with, and, and we were talking, and, and he said to me last night, he's like, I'm ready to quit, and it was over captains. And I know for me, again, with my journey with coaching early on, I saw, like, to me, I had a dilemma. I don't know if it's specific just to my program or if it's more of a, you know, a bigger thing out there, but I kept finding that several things. One, my, my best players weren't necessarily my best leaders. And my best leaders sometimes weren't my best players. So when you yeah. find yourself in that situation, right, I think you're going to lose the situation because when your best players aren't your best leaders, their interpretation of leadership is is going out there and and yelling at kids or, you know, just being very degrading and calling people out. And also they feel like it's it's a privilege where they get to come to practice late. They don't have to pick anything up. They can tell kids to – you know, to, to, to pick up around them, um, you know, in soccer, they don't have to put on their shin guards. And if, and, and if you have the opposite where your, your best leaders aren't necessarily your best players, you set them up for failure where no one's going to listen to them, you know, where you may have like the side conversation where you're not around as a coach and you hear a kid saying, look, I know you're captain, but you suck. I'm better than you. You're not going to, you're not going to tell me what to do. I will say in fairness to the kids Another thing we don't do well is we, we, we put them in a place to fail because the last time I checked, these kids or most schools don't offer a leadership class or a captain's class. So we sit around as coaches in the preseason or maybe the end of the following season and, and we say, um, all right, who are your name captains? All right, uh, you know, Eddie and, and Tommy. Okay, here's your captain's armband. And that's it. That's all we do. And then we expect them to lead properly, yet they've had no guidance, no, there's no curriculum, there's no nothing with it. So naturally, they're not going to meet the expectations that 
uh, of what a positive, I mean, think about how many adults don't know what positive leadership looks like. Or, you know? <laughs> There's so, a lot of them. Right. And, and we expect our kids to, to have it figured out. So um, it, it hit me early on that it wasn't working for me. It, I spent a lot of time talking about the negative effects of what it had on, on the team. I also spent a lot of time putting out fires and it was just a tremendous amount of energy with one simple act. So, you know, we did away with it. And, you know, I'll have people say to me, well, yeah, it's a cop out. You're not doing captains. You don't have to make that difficult decision. And it's the opposite. <clears throat> so we made this decision and then we said, okay, we're not going to have captains. So what are we going to do and how are we going to get this off the ground? And what we basically did is, you know, again, my philosophy is that leadership takes on many different forms. It's not this cookie cutter where it's the loudest kid on your team or the best player on your team. It could be that quiet kid who's very dependable, or it's that quiet kid who's got this impressive work ethic. Um, so to me, like it takes on many forms. So why not, why not acknowledge those different forms? And again, my other philosophy is that, right, there's that debate, well, are, are leaders born or can you mold leaders? And I feel like you can mold leaders. I know for me growing up, I didn't see myself as a leader. But as I kept going through the system in high school, I kept being named captain of, of the teams. And, and even my senior year, I was the only captain uh, on my varsity team. And it wasn't because I was the best player. I was far from the best player in the team. It was, I guess, the work ethic I had. And, and maybe my, my old coach saw something else in me. But that started me down a path of taking on a more active leadership where other people saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. So, one, I believe you can mold leaders. Uh, two, I think it takes on many different forms. And then it's my job and as the adults in the program, myself and my assistant coaches now, to start showing them how to lead. So what typically happens now is when the season ends, right? So in New York, our season goes from late August to typically around the end of October, early November, depending on how far you get into your, your tournaments and your state tournament. So once the season ends, let's say Halloween, I start meeting with my juniors there and we start meeting, you know, they play other sports. We're a small school district. We need these kids to play other sports. So they have other commitments plus their academics, but we meet, you know, initially about once a month. And as we start getting closer to the springtime and before we break out to, to, to summer, we start maybe meeting twice a month and we just check in. They take, uh, they take an active uh, uh, role in their, their season where we start picking out models for the, the, our team motto, which we then put on a shirt. And then uh, maybe they'll we'll, we'll talk about, hey, we have an opening for homecoming. Who would you guys like to see? And then I go out and do it. Or um, we've got some games to add to the schedule and say, look, this is who I'm, you know, we've got some openings. Who would you guys like to see? And we've done a lot of that. And we start talking about that once the season ends. So I'm with them now for 10 months before the next season starts. And they know, though, that once it's their turn, they've got a really big role as a senior, whether it's four seniors or 12 seniors. Like I, I just had 12 seniors um, graduate from last year's team. Their job is big. So we always talk about this pyramid of leadership. I always say that at the top of, our, of that pyramid is our athletic director, who's got a tremendous work ethic. He's always there. He doesn't live close by. He just He's a guy that really busts his tail, right? So I put him at the top of my pyramid. And then I tell the players, who should be next after him? And, and the kids see it. The kids see our athletics, how much he works. So I said, who's next after that? 
and we all agree it should be me and the coaching staff. Okay, so we've got our AD, then your coaches. Who should be next, right? Now, in most systems, <clears throat> who does most of the work? It's your underclassmen. It's the new guys. Yeah, they're the yeah. ones carrying everything. They're putting right. stuff away. They're right. <laughs> they're doing all the jobs nobody wants to do. Right. Now, now, meanwhile, they some of these kids don't even know where everything is. Like, wait, coach, you you want me to like where do I put this stuff? Where do the balls go? Where like where where do I get the the med kit or whatever it is? Right. So it's like, what you want me to do? Like, you've been here for all these years, uh, Mister Senior Kid, and you you're asking me to do it. So I think we all agree. Then no, it should be our seniors that go there, right? So. Our seniors then, what does that mean then once they get senior? They're expected to do everything. They, they, they're expected to be the first ones to practice. They bring the equipment. They, they, they pick up the equipment. They, they bring the equipment down. So they have a lot of responsibilities. But with that responsibility comes a lot of the perks that we talked about, whether it's a senior breakfast, they get to, you know, they get to actual lead, whether it's the, the stretches or the dynamic warm-ups, whatever it is. But there's a lot of perks with being a senior, but with those perks, and as we know, as you get to an adult, you can't have those, those perks without the responsibilities that go with it, right? So they're the ones that really, really lead the program. And the toughest year, of course, was the first year, right? So because the <laughs> they've, they've been used to seeing all the other freshmen and younger younger kids do all the work well yeah well they they were the freshmen that did all yeah, the work no kidding. <laughs> now they, I gotta do it again <laughs> well, I, I never took off like yeah you gotta do it so <laughs> i had a senior class where i had only four of them that year and it was just four awesome kids and they they embraced it and then from there on in it got a lot easier for me to keep going with it um, these kids pretty much don't question it. And, you know, in soccer, it's a big deal to have the captain's armband. Right. And, and again, it's like a lot of kids make a point to really like exaggerate putting on the captain. Like they want you to know, like I'm the captain of the team. These kids don't get their captain's armband until that team dinner at the end of the season. When you come to Valhalla soccer game, there is nobody with the captain's armband. And, uh, cause to me, I always say, I'm not picking captains. I'm picking leaders. Because to me, what does a captain do in soccer? All he does is heads or tail before a game. That's it. To me, a leader just goes way beyond that. So, again, I've had people say, oh, that's a cop out what you do. No, it's the opposite. It's a tremendous amount of work. And uh, at the end of the season, I give these kids a captain's armband, which they, like, they're dying to finally get. And I encourage them all to put on their transcripts, transcripts that they were captain of their varsity team. And I don't care if it's two kids on the team, two seniors, or 14 seniors. They're welcome to all put that on there. And I tell them, if anybody ever calls me, checking in, I'll say, yeah, he was the captain of our team. And I'll be honest, when I say he was the captain of the team, I feel like I've just cheapened what they've done. Because they've done <laughs> way yeah. beyond what a captain does. That's amazing. What you're doing is giving kids, young men, ownership, responsibility. You're actually teaching them how to be leaders and in so many programs well not just not just sports but so many experiences they have at the high school level is kind of the opposite where they're in a situation and there's an authoritative figure around and you're doing what the authoritative figure says because that's what you're supposed to do and then we you know we send them out okay see ya you know good luck in life and i think what you're doing is so incredibly valuable because you're teaching them how to how to be men in life yeah and 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 it's and again, it's so true. And it's taking every, the full, like, so when we have our practices, right? Our drills will set a drill up. And again, as coaches, all right, oh, I need 10 here, 10 there. No, I need, okay, Frank, you go on that side. Tom, I need you. And I'll tell them what to do. And I'll say, figure it out. You guys do it. 
And if it and if it's you know the wrong amount of numbers, they got to figure it out. I'm like, I'm not doing it. That's you know, go ahead, figure it out. That's your you know. And the seniors then figure it out right away. They'll say, okay, this is the drill. I'm gonna count off, or I'm gonna put these guys here, and then they set up the drill. They they get it going. You know, once they understand the parameters of, of what we're doing in terms of the tactical or technical drill that we're doing, but but they do it all. You know, we get to practice. And uh, I'm not telling these guys to straighten out their bags when they put stuff down. They do it. They gotta. They gotta figure it out. And, and and if they don't, I'll pull them aside and I'll say, guys, I want you to come where I am. I said, take a peek over there, and I'll point to the bench that's 20 yards out. I'm like, what do you see? And you'll see like, you know, who's got a bag here and a bag there and a shirt and this and that. I'm like, that's not acceptable, you know. And then like, you know, we gotta fix that. All right, seniors, that's on you guys. You guys, you can't, you can't allow that once you come there. And, and again, this is only day three. I haven't mentioned the word of that to these guys, and they've done it already because that's what they've seen before them. So they've embraced now what, what those little things like that, like just taking ownership of what it looks like. Even when we leave, we don't stagger out. We, we leave together, and then we walk out together in two lines. And, and the one thing I always say, you have to act as if people are always watching you because you know what? Someone is always watching you. And, and uh, so we walk out together as a team, you know, uh, in two lines. Or um, you know, another thing I stole from another program is we're always in number order. So if we're on the bench during a game, we're in numerical order. If they leave the field, they're in numerical order. If we take a team picture, they're in numerical order. And it's that that attention to all the little things that really add up to a successful, whatever we're talking about, successful student athlete, successful in the classroom or out in the uh, community. It's really cool. And that starts to become part of the culture when, you know, you mentioned kids start to kind of do it on their own. Here it is day three of your, your practices and they're doing these things without you even explicitly sitting down to, to talk with them about it right now. And they're just automatically doing it. So it kind of becomes part of the team's culture and something that kids as they, I imagine younger siblings and people in the community who see that they start to imagine themselves in that position someday and even just underclassmen imagining that too. And one of the words you keep mentioning is philosophy. And it's pretty clear that you've thought this philosophy out really carefully. Do you, is that something you've explicitly sat down and you've, you've contemplated and written out, or is this just a career of, of thought that's gone into your philosophy? So it's something that for me, it wasn't because you hear about it all the time, like, Oh, you, you have to have a philosophy. So I knew that going in. Well, actually, I didn't know that initially, to be quite honest. But, but you know, years in, I realized, you know, I, I need a philosophy. And that philosophy took me, you know, I want to say a good five, six years to put down on paper. And, you know, I would stop and look at things. I'm like, you know, I like that, and that until, to, until I got to the point where I felt like it was done. And, and I think I shared with you this one this sign that I had made up that basically just talks about what I expect from these kids. And, you know, that sign really doesn't talk much about much about soccer. It, it's all right. It's all related to, to being like a good human being. And, and I, I think it relates directly to soccer in terms of how you do things, how you attack the game and, and the sport and practices. But it goes way beyond that where you can take those principles that we're looking for on the soccer field and we can extend it out into our lives. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, I, I think the power of a coach, um, you know, goes way beyond any other adult outside of their parents and what we do. So my feeling has always been if the only thing I do with these kids is focus on the game, focus on the X and O's, then I've done a 
huge disservice to these kids. Huge. I've got this unbelievable opportunity to, to be a small part of their lives, to help shape their lives. And if I don't take advantage of that and all I care about is winning, then then I have not done my job. Well, and that's pretty special because you, in your own life, when I mean, you talk about how this this transfers to far beyond soccer, there's there's something you did that's pretty amazing that not a lot of people would do for what, you know, who ended up being a complete stranger. But of course, that person's, I'm sure, not a stranger anymore. Can you talk about Gino and what, what, what you did for that man? Sure. So, you know, I think the most powerful thing we can do as coaches is just model what we're talking about, right? So it's just basically really embodying the things that are important to us. And, and one of the things that we talk a lot about is kindness in, in our program, right? So just, and to me, kindness is a respect. So you respect your opponent, the referees, whatever it is. And, and just being, and especially inwards in our program where, we, you know, we're not too hard on ourselves and we're not too hard on our teammates in terms of like how we treat them. But kindness to me is very important. I knew that, and what you're referring to with Gino is, is uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, Gino was a stranger to me and I donated my kidney to him. And, uh, you know, I did it at a time where I felt like things were a little crazy in the world. And and I thought I needed to do something in my own little corner of the universe to try to affect some change. Little did I know that, you know, fast forward about a year later, how much crazier the world would be. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. How much crueler the world would be. I, I think... I think what we're seeing with whether it's the social unrest, whether it's this virus, whether it's the election year we're in, is, um, you know, we're seeing the ugly side of, of humanity here. And, and it's, it's, it's tough to be surrounded by that. So, you know, something popped in my head. <clears throat> I want to say it was, uh, you know, January of 2019 and uh, about doing something like this and, and um you know, I didn't know when or where it would be, and and I was at the soccer convention. In they have an annual convention, which is just so impressive. And and I think, <clears throat> you know, I know we haven't talked about this, but I think as a young coach, old coach in any sport, you want to immerse yourself in the sport through education. I mean, there's so many. I mean, these ideas we've talked about, I've stolen it from just being around people. Um, so I go to this annual convention, regardless of where it is in the country. I've gone out to L.A. Baltimore, Philly. It's every year. It's about 3,000 co- coaches come from all over the planet to spend four days. And um, these sessions are tremendous. So anyway, I'm in my hotel room in Chicago and I'm you know, sh- you know, know, scrolling through my Twitter feed and I get this alert that Ed Cranepool of the New York Mets is looking for a kidney. And I'm like, this is it. You know, what are, what are the odds? I just, I see this. So I'm able to go through certain channels to get to Jay Horowitz, who's the PR guy over at the uh, New York Mets. And he connects me with, with Ed Cranepool. And for people who don't know, Ed Cranepool is like Mr. Met. You know, to this day, he's played the most amount of games with the New York Mets. Won a World Series with them back in 1969. You know, he's in his uh, 70s, I think about 74. Very bad condition with his kidneys failing. So I ended up connecting with him. I start going through the process to, to, to be his donor. I'm at the very last uh, stage of doing this, and, and he pulls out because he finds another donor somewhere else. And so, you know, the hospital, Hackensack Hospital in New Jersey calls me up and says, listen, you know, he's pulled out. Is this something that you're still willing to do? Or do you want to move forward? I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Like, we've got the perfect person for you and so on. And, and you know, I didn't know Gino at the time. 
They gave me very little information. They just told me he was a 47-year-old father. He had a couple of kids. And, uh, you know, of course, leading up to that, it's my family wasn't, you know, too crazy about the idea. <laughs> I can imagine. Of, yeah, fear of that. And, and then even, you know, going through. So at the very end, getting, you know, this is now uh, middle of, of, of April. And we, uh, we're supposed to be doing this donation end of April. And, and, you know, Ed pulls out. So, again, talking about Joe Ferraro, you know, he's someone that, that, that we, we talk a lot about culture and leadership and so on. He says to me, he's like, listen, you know, do you think this is the universe's way of talking that maybe you should pull out? And I'm like, no, Joe, I, I, think, um, I think someone else was meant to get my kidney. I think that's what it is. I, th- I think if I wasn't meant to, to donate, I think like I would have failed some sort of test. Like I have kidney stones or something. I think someone else is meant to get it. So, you know, I end up, you know, going through with this, with this surgery and, um, and, and I end up getting to meet Gino the next day. So I go to Gino's room and they bring me over. Do you want to meet, you know, who has your kidney? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm dying to see who this guy is. <laughs> So I, I go to his room, you know, I'm walking around at this point, Gino's still in his bed and, uh, you know, we start talking and, and he says, you know, I just got the phone call this month, you know, a couple days before my birthday, I got the call that I was finally getting a kidney, four years of dialysis, um, just a torture of that. He couldn't work anymore. It was just too strenuous on the body. And he said, I got a, you know, the phone call right before my birthday. So I said, "Oh, Gino, you know, I've got a, I have a brother who's who's born this month, and you know, I go, you're 47, right?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm 47." I go, "So is my brother." I go, "My brother's born in April, though." I'm like, "When are you born?" He's like, "April 14th." I'm like, "Gino, that's my brother's birthday." <laughs> no way. My brother's born April 14, 1972. It's like, what are the odds that the guy who gets your kidney has the same exact birthday as, as my younger brother? And, and that's uh, amazing. So, um, uh, it, it was just, you know, again, it was life changing for me. You know, I, I feel great. So, you know, a little over a year later, uh, I feel great. Gino's a part of my life. You know, we haven't gotten together as much as we want to with, with this pandemic that's going on now. We check in with each other. I check in and see how he's doing. He checks in with me. I call him on his birthday, which is easy to remember. So, so it was a life changing thing, but, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's a little bit more kindness, you know, is, is what I'm trying to do. And I think what what better way than to model it? You're right. You get on social media today and spend any more than <laughs> two or three minutes on there. And you, it's just, it's toxic. And society is seeming to become more and more toxic. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it certainly seems um, more prevalent just maybe because of social media. But uh, what a lesson for for kids in Gino's life and your life, for your, the kids you coach, for your family, like uh, to model the, the t- you know, it's, it's to walk the walk. <laughs> You're doing what you say is important. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's, I, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that, that I was healthy enough to, to make that donation and help impact somebody. So, so yeah, it's just, and, and then going back to social media too, Max, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's rough now. And I, but I do feel like, again, I think the thoughts that occupy my mind, I, I have control over that. I believe that. And I think one way I do that is, is when I go on my social media 
I'm not sure about you, but I spent a lot of time like muting people on Oh my gosh, people. I've blocked so many people on Twitter. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And it's preemptive. It's not even anything they've ever said to me. It's just I happen to see it and I go, okay, I don't need to see this person anymore. Absolutely. And it's just, to me, it's like I'm not going to, I'm choosing not to, set, to surround myself with that negativity. And and, and it's, it takes a little bit of work, but, but I do have to say there are times somebody will say something like, hey, did you see so-and-so's tweet? I'm like, no, I didn't see it. And, and and to be honest, I don't want to know about it. It's just um, I, I get to choose who I spend time with. I get to choose what I read. So I'm also going to get to choose what comes in my feed. And and, and, and I'm going to choose positivity. I'm going to choose. That's why I love so much what you're doing, because I feel like there's something that I can learn from everybody, regardless of their position, you know, regardless of their age, regardless of the of the sport they coach. I feel like I can genuinely learn something from everybody. And, and if I listen to one of your podcasts or something else and I pull out one thing from it, holy smokes, I got better today. You know, or, or, you know, I got, I got, I got a little better today and it's something that I, that, that'll make me a, a better person, a better teacher. So. Yeah, that's what I appreciate uh, about Joe's podcast. And that's kind of where this came from. I, I listen. there's quite a few really good, really, really, really good baseball coaching podcasts. They tend to focus more on the college level. They'll have high school guys on sometimes, but inevitably it ends up being, they'll have, they'll do some life stuff, but it'll be about baseball and the skills and things that you can teach and drills. And it's, it's good. I get a lot from it. Uh, but then listening to Joe's podcast, you know, it just kind of dawned on me one day that, wow, you know, there's really not much out there for high school coaches that just talks about how to be better at coaching human beings. We're, we're in such a unique position. Like you said, we're outside of a kid's parents. For the most part, we're the number one person in their lives at the adult level, the, the biggest role model in their lives. And we have this huge responsibility to be somebody that leaves them with a feeling that they matter, that they can take ownership of their life, and that they can be a leader when they leave us. And you, you mentioned it too, when they leave the program and 15 years later, and they're having beers with their buddies, they're not talking about what drill you did on the soccer field. You know, they're not, they're not talking about the pitch. They're talking about how well you made them feel. They're talking about experiences that they had. And I think, I think that's what I hope this platform is, is an opportunity for coaches to share some of those things. And then more importantly for us, just to take something from somebody else and um, there's a ton that people can take from you. And I want to be respectful of, of your family's time and, and just give you a chance. If there's anything you wanted to kind of leave coaches with. Sure. Um, a, f- a few things, if that's okay with you, Max. So, oh no. Yeah. Go for it. I know for me again, in terms of, you know, I know we didn't touch upon it, but there is something that I started last year that I absolutely love. When I first saw it, <clears throat> I thought it was very hokey, but we have, uh, we, ha- we started something last year that's called the gratitude jar. And I think I stole this from uh, from John Gordon. Um, with, with oh, he's that. awesome. Yeah, he is. He is. So uh, it's basically, so I have a, a nice, I went out to, you know, one of those arts craft stores. I, I bought this very nice jar. I had my daughter, um, Gianna, who's, who's uh, you know, 13 years old. She's very artistic. She kind of then started drawing our, our, our soccer crest and she decorated it. And basically what we do is, we start our we start our, our practice days where again I got to figure out how to do this now with what's going on with, with the pandemic. But we would start our day with uh, um, in the classroom, and they all get a piece of paper. They've got to write down something that they're grateful for, and it's got. I try to get them to zero in on, on that day, something that day, right? So they went through a nine period school day, 
Um, they've been around so many people, so many of their, their classmates, so many adults in the building, whether it's the custodians, teachers, administration, maybe even the superintendent. And uh, um, I want them to pull something out from that day that's positive, right? So it can't be something generic like where they're going to write down, um, I like being on this team or I like ice cream or whatever. I'm grateful. It's got to be something specific to the day. And they don't have to, they have to write it down. They don't have to share it. I do ask for a couple of kids to share it. Uh, I, I share every day, uh, something that happened to me during the day, whether it's something, you know, something about a colleague, how they came through for me or something that I saw, you know, pretty cool that one, you know, one kid did for another kid. So I'll share again to model what it is that I'm grateful for. And again, they don't have to share. And usually you get about three, four kids that are sharing. <clears throat> and in the beginning, it's a little, it, it's not where it needs to be. But as we start going through, it starts to look pretty good, you know, after a few weeks of this. And, and again, I'm trying to train their mind where they're going throughout the day where they may have a teacher that's kind of on them or maybe they missed an assignment. So, right, so what's going on right now? So right in their heads, they're talking about how they're late to class or or, you know, um, a teacher that they may not like, or a class, a subject they may not like. or So, right, there's all this negativity. So now I'm forcing them to try to look at something positive that happened during the day, right? So we'll share it. And then after we share, big round of applause, right? And then and then the next kid goes. And again, if you don't want to share, you don't. We put it in. Then when we're done, we take that piece of note and we put it in the jar. And the next day, we do the same thing. And coach, you got to see, you know, you know, I got, I want to say, you know, so and so, he helped me out today. I, I forgot I, my shin guards, but he, he he had an extra pair and he bailed me out right away, or whatever it is. And and, um, and we slowly start filling up that jar. And then by the end of the season, that jar is packed. And it's, again, it's getting to reframe their thinking to really acknowledge that we're very lucky. We're very lucky what we what we get to do, the company we keep, and and to really look at the good that's around us, right? So basically trying to look at that that jar that's half full versus half empty, right? That old cliche. So we did that last year. And sure enough, a few days ago, I had one of the seniors come by, right? He was a junior last year. He's like, coach, are we doing the gratitude jar this year? So I said, well, I don't know. Do you want to do it? He's like, yeah, I want to do it. I like it. I'm like, it's done. We're going to do it then. I got to go out and buy a new jar. John has got it decorated for me. And uh, so all I needed was one kid to tell me that he liked it. So. Sometimes we need that feedback. As yeah, kids. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Max, like, you hear, I'm like, when I first heard, I'm like, oh, my God. I don't know. These guys going to do this. Are they going to write something down? Are they going to – like, they're like, coach, come on, man. You can't keep asking us to do these silly, silly little things. But, again, it's that whole vibe. It's that whole culture that you're, you're trying to create. Like, what do you want from these guys? So I, I would mention that. I think uh, another thing that I would mention is, you know, dealing with parents is very, very hard nowadays. I, I know your second guest, the athletic director, Brian. He, 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 he talked about it. I know for me, what's worked for me, Max, is, is that um, I've really pulled the parents nice and close because today's parents want to be involved and, and with their kids. And I, and I think a lot of times we make that out to be a bad thing. Uh, I think it's pretty... I think it's solid when you have parents that want to want to be around their kids, want to know what their kids are up to. I think it's really, I think it's getting harder to raise a family. I know you've got a little one at home. Um, yeah, I think it's getting harder and harder. So for me, I bring them in as close as possible, and what that looks like is I, I send out um, 
regular emails, and that could be a couple of times a week, you know, once we're in season. And I talk about everything in the email. So I'm sure there are parents that once it comes in, they hit delete. And there are other parents that read word for word what I'm writing. And, and um, you know, so I'll talk about, I'll give them the schedule for the week ahead in terms of like practice times, games, where we're going, uh, where we are in our league in terms of fighting it out. Uh, I'll talk about uh, teams I've scouted and how I plan on attacking that game. Um, I, I took a class with uh, with the Binghamton uh, College, Binghamton University, right? It's 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 a, it's a state school. It's a very academic state school in New York State, and I took a, a, a class with him. And during the class, he says, uh, "How many of you send out emails to your parents?" And a lot of us raised our hands. He says, well, "Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you uh, talk formation?" In your emails, you let your parents know the formation you're running or uh, your strategies. And I know I took my hand down right away. And I, I believe every other coach took their hand down. He said, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you let them know? And, and, and he got me thinking. There are times we play a certain system on the field. And it's very unique to our style and to the, to the kids that are out there. And I'll have parents yelling from the stands to do something that I don't want the kids doing. Yeah. Right. Definitely. So I'm sure you see that as a coach, right? And then absolutely. Right. So there's a level of frustration, but then, okay, I put myself in the parent shoes. They're yelling it because they think there's a major flaw and they're trying to help. Right. So it's not coming from a bad place. They want to help. So, um, if I talk about these things, the parents like, yeah, now I get what you're doing out there, coach. So because I outline these things, they're less likely to shout things out into the from the stands because one, they see that number one, I do have a plan, right? I'm not winging it, and and so they okay, so this okay, we trust coach. There's a pretty there's a plan there, and then two, uh, it's a plan that's based on what I've seen, and I'll tell them, you know, I went and scouted out this team twice. This is what I saw. These tendencies. This is their best player. Uh, we're gonna man mark this game. Usually we're more in a zonal defense, but I'm gonna man mark, and I spell it out. Uh, exactly what our game plan is and you know sometimes we succeed with that and sometimes we don't but it's not for lack of effort or trying uh, so the parents see that and uh and then i'll end it with like news and notes i'll say like oh you know we're playing our rival our record over the last and i and i have very detailed records for my last 14 years coaching so i'll tell them hey you know we've we haven't lost to this team in the last five tries the uh the this the Last time we lost to them was was um, September seventeenth, two thousand sixteen. It was a two one loss at their homecoming, and and you know little things like that. That's so cool. Yeah, these news and notes section is, is how I end it, or I'll say congratulations to um, you know little Johnny. He scored his first varsity goal, and you know, and so on. So it's like this little news and notes section. So at the end of the day, they feel like they have they have an inside peek to our locker room and what we're doing. And the parents, the parents who read it absolutely love it like mike i didn't know you were doing this i didn't realize the level of what's going on um even something like the gratitude jar right that i mentioned to you the kids likely aren't going to go home when the parents say to them how was your day today right we're going to say good how was practice today good and that's it they move on right so by giving them this information that like the parents don't know about the gratitude jar but i'll mention in my email so it's an opportunity at the dinner table to have a dialogue with, with the kids. So they say, hey, you know, how was practice today? It's good. Then the next question, that follow-up question apparently would be, is, did you guys do the gratitude jar today? Oh, yeah, we did do it. What did you write about? You know what I mean? And then now 
there's there's an avenue to ask some questions to open up that dinner table, some dialogue there. So, you know, I, I just love those emails. It, it, it's a little bit of work for me. It allows the parents to really see what we're doing, to, to get them to know that we're in this together. It doesn't mean that I don't have any of those problems that some of us as face as coaches, but I do feel like I've eliminated a lot of them. Uh, and, and the parents who are the ones who are probably the loudest that we tend to push away the farthest, those are the ones I bring them closest. I make them my team parents, right? Because if you've got a parent that's pretty loud, if you push them away, they're not going to get quieter. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to yell even louder because they're further away. So I'll make them my team parents and I'll ask them. And their job is, you know, I check in with them regularly, find out, you know, what, am I, what I'm missing from not looking at things from parent eyes as opposed to my coach's eyes or my coach's lens. Uh, they help organize our pasta dinners and getting our kids together. What ends up happening is in high school, of course, these kids may, may be making some poor decisions, going out to some parties and so on. Our kids are spending a lot of time together instead. And, um, you know, with these pasta dinners, they'll get together and then they'll eat and they'll have these amazing feasts. Again, I talked about the, the cultural, cultural diversity of our team where our pasta dinners are all of a sudden there's like this Portuguese dinner or these like Spanish empanadas or whatever they have there. It's like these amazing meals. And then they get on their Xboxes and they play the FIFA game and <laughs> they'll end up spending hours together. And it's hours they're not spending maybe making some poor decisions that may impact our season, but even worse may impact them as people. So, um, so again, I've, I've, I've made a conscious effort to pull the parents closer. They appreciate it. They appreciate being inside the locker room, you know, so to speak, you know, we do that. We do these exit interviews. I give these kids a document where they can fill it out. You know, it's these questions, very specific questions. And, uh, you know, most kids take me up on it. I, I keep reminding, reminding them after a few weeks, I stop, but, um, it gives these kids an opportunity to sit down with me one-on-one to, to, to maybe say, hey, coach, this happened during the season. This is how I felt. And, and it gives us an honest dialogue. You know, I even had one kid one year where he wasn't happy with the season. And he really let me have it in his exit interview. And he he couldn't wait to meet with me. You know, I read this and I was like, holy, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Just like how upset he was and, and the anger that I saw on the paper. But, you know, you see something like that. And I think your first thought is, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't do this, right? But I think it's the opposite. I think the power of this kid having the opportunity to sit down and to get things off his chest and maybe for us to come to a common ground, maybe for us to agree to disagree on a few things, uh, I think was very therapeutic for him. And to be honest, um, some things were true. It, it, it forced a mirror in front of me and looking at things saying, you know what? I didn't succeed with this kid. He didn't feel better being around the team. Um, and, and so where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently? So, so I love doing that. You know, I can go on with a bunch of other things, but, but if, uh, you know, if anybody, you know, wants to reach out for anything, my, uh, my Twitter handle is, is, is it okay if I share that? Matt? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So it's at San, S-A-N, three, M-A-N, Sandman, right? S-A-N, three, M-A-N. If there's some that they heard that they want me to share, I, I'll be happy to share with them. But I think it's important as a as a coaching circle with what you're doing here that we really we share our ideas and, and uh, anything little that we can do to make our program better. You know, at the end of the day, our the, our kids benefit from it. So 
Uh, I'm looking forward to your future podcasts and stealing ideas from future coaches that are that are that you're interviewing. And and again, Max, like it's awesome that you're doing this, especially with you know what you have on your plate, especially with a little one at home that you're taking the time to do this. Well, hey, man, I appreciate the kind words. And Sandra, I think you've helped me a lot as a coach just in this conversation and hopefully somebody else too. So really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks again for all, for all that you're doing, Max. And thanks for today. Really love talking to you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at HSCoachesClub. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes, too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, If you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, If you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, Lastly, you can always reach out to me personally. And this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, On Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. So, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, Honored that you tuned in and and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, So thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.